Paolo Coelho once wrote, When we love, we always strive to become better than we are. When we strive to become better than we are, everything around us becomes better too. This is the Producers Lounge Podcast, the best podcast online for tips and tricks on producing great film, television, and web content. Welcome back for Season 2, Episode 10, hosted and produced by GreaterAndGrander.com. On this week's episode, we're chatting with Emily Coop, who is an Australian-born Eurasian actress-turned-producer who has worked consistently in both Australia and Los Angeles. She has recently been cast in feature films The New Hands, Lilith, Homebound, Dark Haven, The Locket, and Wicked Wi-Fi Workout. Emily recently completed filming The Crossroads in Arizona, in which she played the lead, and is also co-writing and producing the music. We discuss trials of being a producer, connecting people with good screenplays, and thinking about what can instead of what is. Here now is my conversation with Emily Coop. Where are you at in the world now? Yeah, so I am in LA. How about you? I'm in West Hollywood. I was kind of curious because I know you traveled to Arizona for that one film, and then you were, if I recall correctly, you were going back to Australia for something a while ago, or...? I haven't been back to Australia for a while, um, okay. mostly because of COVID, but yes, I did go to Arizona last year, which is really fun. Um, it's a lot of little things. I feel like um, this year on its own, because it's already September, uh, mm-hmm. it feels like it just started the year. It's crazy. But I mean, I've done four commercials, which has been great. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably one of the coolest stats this year that's been happened. Um, I was made it to the top eight of a series regular which is cool um oh nice yes that is always really cool that was um for this show called sweet tooth actually so i yeah i just did one self-tape but i think i made it through the top eight which is great uh i didn't get it so that's good um shot a lot of friends indie projects this year like my um friend albert we're doing a horror short called the package which we're like shipping away at um I had a small part in my friend's Christian film called Insight. Um, and I've also uh, shot a very small part of my friend's film called, uh, you know, I forget what the name, I think it's called Primary. I, I forget what the name of the film's called. It's going to hate me. But I think it's called Primary. But anyway, my director, is friend is Gavin Michael Booth. So we shot a little thing that over the weekend. He's in Vancouver. So we shot it through Zoom, actually, because it was meant to be like oh. a Zoom interview. Uh-huh. Yeah, just that's all that comes to mind recently. But I feel like I've done. Oh yeah, I shot this part in this film called Wicked Wi-Fi Workout, where I got like beat to near death at at at, at the start of the film, which is really fun. Um, yeah, I feel like even last year I did a lot of did a lot of smaller things too. No like leads or anything in feature films. Um, mm-hmm. Haven't had any of those. Um, that would be awesome to get another one of those soon. Um, and I also got cast in my friend's play, which was meant to be happening almost this coming weekend or next weekend, but um, we just aren't ready for the performance, so we're going to push it to January, So, um, which is good. Because uh. I realized I was having no social life because I was freaking out all the time about this play, um, although I like being busy because I think it also keeps my mind off overthinking about things. <laughs> I, think, I think I definitely do that. Um so, yeah. Oh, and then my friend uh, cast in this film called Island in the Stars, and that's shooting um, 
hopefully next year in mm-hmm. Australia. Um, I still think they're working on funding. Um, mm-hmm. That's the plan. He had a little thing released in Deadline, which was cool. Um, so if that happened, that would be great. And it's, it's funny because I feel like, again, I did not really audition for him for that. But um, all the leads and features I've had have all come from working with friends or like, you know, more from a producer standpoint, more than just as an actor. So um, that's one of the main reasons I got into producing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of producing and stuff, to be honest with you, since I know we were working on something last year, mm-hmm. Kim, um, I had a lot of balls kind of rolling, but then it got to a point where we kind of got to dead ends with all of them, I think. That's the problem. Like, I got to dead ends with, like, pretty much all of them. And I realized part of it was that I wasn't super passionate about any one project. Like I was like, yeah, I want to have something to act in, but it wasn't like, Oh my God, this story has to be told. It's like, this will do. So it wasn't like a good mindset to have. Um, there was one film, which I really liked. It was called, um, I think fight girl or something. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was a female MMA fighter and the writer, didn't think I, I had enough experience to get it made, which is correct. Um, but that was a one f- script where I was like, fuck, like I would love to make, to get this made. Um, so I think if I came across a script now, which really fit that, like it was something I could act in, but then also was a story I was really passionate about. I would totally, you know, put a lot behind it and try to get it made. I don't know. Like, I just think it takes so much effort to get a film made and, mm-hmm you can't really do it part-time or you can't do it casually. You have to put your heart and soul into getting it made. So number one, I've got to only do one instead of having like 20 projects on the go. So I've got to choose that one, mm-hmm. which I haven't mm-hmm. quite found that one yet. Um, and then, yeah, probably have more free time. So <laughs> anyway, that's kind of my experience with everything in the past year. Completely understandable. And I've, I've run into that issue too. Um, you know, nowadays, like, I have several projects that I have over the years been interested in producing and I'm now attached to direct. And so I'm trying to push forward on those projects and there are nine of them right now. And yes, I admit that it is way too many projects for like Mm -hmm. a single producer. Um, But of those nine, there's probably only like one or two that I'm really passionate about. You should focus on those. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what, why do the other ones i don't know but, sorry continue <laughs> no no completely understandable because and and i i got this advice from someone back at uh film school which is if you're gonna go in for a pitch it of course you have the one project that you're really passionate about but you do want like two backups you know you don't want to get into a room and say oh we're we're doing a, a kids musical about a talking donkey and like eh, we already have one of those in development and then they can ask well what else you got in the drawer and you say well i also have this musical about a a, a talking hard drive and they're like perfect that's great um but yeah that i agree like going overboard with too many projects is probably going to set you up for failure but also it's good to have a couple of backups just knowing like hey what is uh what is something else that somebody could ask for um uh but you know i always thought that your approach was was really smart because you're an actress you're trying to put yourself forward 
and push your career forward. And sometimes you need to do that simply by taking the bull by the horns and steering it and creating your own projects. So, yeah, no, I, I think it's a really good idea. I honestly like, mm. it's still in my head. I keep toying with the idea of doing it like every day. And I think I come down to, I didn't go to film school. Like don't know how to DP. I don't know how to do any crew positions, maybe PA, like just tell people, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> like, I have no onset, onset behind the camera experience. It's always in front of the camera. So I think it would be purely as a producer to bring the right people together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one day I will, I will fully do it more. And I was doing a lot of courses on you know, financing and getting, you know, money in advance based upon pre-sales and, you know, doing all that kind of thing. Um, I know it's something I could do, but I really put my mind to it because it's not rocket science, you know, the number, there's a creative side of it, but you know, it just takes time and energy to get the right funds and stuff. It's not, not unreachable. It's not unattainable, but um, yeah, it's um, I think my thing is cause I'm kind of pursuing music and acting at once. So not only is it acting in itself, it's doing music too. And mm-hmm. you know, having a life and trying to find a way to do all this full time as well. Um, I think, once I've got all my loose ends tied up with establishing this whole music thing that I'm doing as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, I keep getting cast on my friends, indie films. I'm auditioning for film TV through my agents a lot. So I kind of feel like very proactive. I think coming back to really taking the time because it's time to find a script, which I'm really passionate about and then to make sure it's excellent. And then just really from the bottom up, just give everything to it to get it made. That's something I could see doing in the future. And I just wish if I had a script right now, that was like, Oh my God, this is everything like I'm looking for. I would give that time to that now, but I just, I haven't even found that script yet. So that's why. And also I'm like, should I start with the short first? Um, just to get my, you know, t- feet wet. Um, although, or, or you could just go straight for the feature. Um, mm-hmm. and also I think I'd like to work with somebody who's done it before. Um, so yeah, just to have mentorship. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. It's, um, not as active as what I was, but I just found myself getting into, (laughs) there's a few people where we just never followed up with each other. And Mm -hmm. then they kind of, the projects kind of die silently. Not Mm -hmm. die. I mean, I could, I'm sure if I, I don't know if I emailed one of them, like a group chat with someone been like, Hey, like what's like, what's going on? And maybe they didn't reply or something, but, um, yeah, pretty much all the stuff I was working on, I've just kind of stepped away and didn't, I just didn't keep following up because I was the one following up. Even yeah. with these two guys, we shot this, um, proof of concept short. Uh, we both, we all put like my 150 into it. The guy edited it and then, um, that's it. We, we never did anything with it. And I'm very intentional and very proactive with what I am doing. And it was at that moment when I was like, like I'm, you know, that, that feeling of you don't know why you're doing something. You're just doing it because you think it's the right thing to do, but you mm. don't actually have a plan for it. You're just kind of going through the motions. That's kind of how I felt. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I just have heard that proof of concept shorts, the right thing to do, but I just think it's so important to work backwards with that, you know, to have a goal in mind or an end game. Okay. I've got the proof of concept. 
to pitch to Netflix. Oh, cool. Well, if that is my intention, what do they require? Does it have to be 20 minutes? Is it, you know, certain ratio, you know, camera stuff, lenses. And so I didn't have that end goal in mind to have a framework with. So it's just a lot of gaps in my knowledge and that in terms of that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm at least aware that, you know, I need to do that research before getting it made. Um, so yeah, there's just so much that goes into it. It's like, it gets a little overwhelming actually. That's why it is a full-time thing. And, um, it is hard to compete with people who that's all they're doing. Yeah. I, I, uh, have so much, uh, so many opinions about all the topics you've outlined as far as proof of concepts and, yes. and following up. Um, can I, tell can me. I tell you, hmm? tell me, tell me what they are. Okay. So, so what I've found is with, uh, the following up, uh, same exact thing happened to me, uh, which is, you know, I'd set a, a reminder to follow up with these people and they didn't, wouldn't follow up and what have you. Um, what I would start doing is doing pre-scheduled emails for follow-ups. And you don't, and I never did it too often. I only did it once a month uh, because that way you get into a good cadence every three or four weeks. Just, you know, scheduling those pre-scheduled emails to follow up based on the last correspondence you had. Mm. And, uh, and in fact, that's what I did most recently with, uh, one, I, I did a rewrite of something for the Canadian broadcasting company and, um, and just followed up. And so, and I'm going to keep following up until, you know, we hear back on that. Um, in addition to that, as far as proof of concepts, like, uh, what I've started doing is like all of these story words. I agree with you, like deciding whether or not to do a proof of concept is hard. And do you do a short versus the full feature? What I heard from these guys, uh, you know, the YouTube channel, uh, rocket jump. They're, they're a big, like visual effects, YouTube channel. And they do a bunch of like goofy shorts that were like gamer, uh, like video game based and, and have a lot of cool special effects. Um, and they're USC guys. So, but what they found was they were doing all of this stuff, all of these videos, they were getting millions, hundreds of millions of views on their channel. And then when it was time to actually go and get a movie pitched, nobody cared because it was YouTube and it was free content. Mm -hmm. And, and YouTube does also have a stigma on it because, you know, there's some sketchy shit on YouTube that's gotten like a million views and what have you. <clears throat> Logan Paul. <clears throat> um, um, you mean because he pays for it or he's doing sketchy stuff? Oh, like, well, Logan Paul did that one video where like he went out into the suicide forest in Tokyo and recorded like a dead body he found and it got like a million views. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. And what, yeah, not, not to bring the conversation down, but no. uh, side tangent. But see, is that, did he do something that's technically illegal? Is that, is that illegal? It's not, right? I don't know what the laws would be in Japan, honestly. Oh, it was in Japan, right. Yeah, yeah. But the, that's not the guy I'm talking about. The guy, the other guy, rocket jump guy, he right. like, yeah, he was, you know, he went, he had all these visual effects, these proof of concepts. And nobody who made a f who was financing features wanted to talk to them. And he said, actually, they did wind up getting a TV series financed by YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, 
But then they did, uh, they tried to do a second series for Hulu and that flopped. And so that didn't, you know, success begets success, failure begets failure. And uh, what he said was rather than doing all of the YouTube videos, they would have been better served just making a low budget horror movie, making something that would have made its money back. And then they would have shown like, hey, we can return on investment for something that is, you know, pay to view content rather than free content. Um, but I, I've actually been struggling with that. I don't remember if I told you, but like I got a, um, I got a opportunity to direct several shorts for this company called Tongle. And okay. so, and so I pitched them a bunch of ideas and they said, yeah, we love these three ideas. And those are all three uh, larger form ideas uh, that I think would be great down the line. And this company Tongle is paying for me to make a short version of them as oh. basically a proof of concept video. That's great. Like proof of concept videos are great as long as you can get somebody else to make them um, or mm -hmm. to pay for them. Um, yeah. And what I've, like I made a big mistake getting at it when I graduated film school. I kept thinking about the big projects, your studio features, your what have you. And because that was right after the era of the indie film boom of the 90s and companies were still around that would give breaks to like kids straight out of film school had a really great short film. Mm. But what I've found a lot more, especially in the age of YouTube and podcasts is think of like a version of your idea that could be done as what I call like a phase one version, just less organization, less money. And whether it's a short film or a podcast or a, a, a written version, like a book or a novel. Um, in fact, I even, um, I was at Comic-Con several years ago and I was talking with this guy and he had a really cool graphic novel that I wanted to option. Mm -hmm. But because of, you know, financing and sci-fi budgets, I, I asked him, like, is there a version of this movie that can play, take place entirely in one room? And he was like, yes, there's actually a character in an orbiting satellite that's, that is monitoring everything. And we could take track the whole thing from his perspective there. Mm. And so that's a way to basically bring down your scope, bring down your costs, and actually get your vision made, even if it's a slightly skewed vision. And if it's profitable, then you can make the large $5 million, $10 million version later. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a friend who, he did this film called Mass, where it was like four people in a room. It's out now, but it went to Sundance and had like star names in it and stuff. But um, it's pretty much like two couples together who had kids who went to high school together and one of the parents kids was a guy who shot up the whole school and the other person's kid was, wow. one, who died. It was one of the kids who died and they asked to meet to some kind of um closure you know some kind of resolution. i think i said trailer for that that was on was that the christian film you mentioned uh no no this is called mass different okay this one's out i believe already but it's yeah, it's, I, I watched it. It was, you know, very intense. But the whole thing is just literally one conversation. It looks like one big take, but of course they did multiple takes. But, um, and they shot it over a few weeks and stuff. But, um, yeah, like, 
they didn't show any flashbacks. It was all set in the room, just them talking and their emotions. Mm-hmm. And and it's just incredible. Like that could be done on such a low budget. Like it could be done for nothing. I know the budget for that was high because they had locations and star names and whatever. But for a super indie filmmaker, you could shoot that for, I don't know, just paying the bare minimum. I don't know, like a few thousand dollars. I don't know. So yeah, like stuff like that. It's cool. And it's, it's almost like if you're restrained uh, with budget and time, whatever, whatever constraints you have, it just means that you have to, you know, exercise. It just means that you have to be more creative, like to just find a creative solution around those um, restrictions. And so sometimes you come out with something better just because you have to find a way to, to work around those things. Um, like even people who use their iPhones and stuff, like I guess the restriction was money, but also maybe it was a stylistic thing. It was like, Hey, like no one's done this before. Like maybe we should break this mold and, and do it. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's like, you want to film that is different. Like it's, it's, still marketable and it's within a genre and it's recognizable and fits in the, in the marketplace, but also it has a difference about it. So it's always tricky to find that balance. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. I think that's why a lot of horror movies, like they do really well, low budget because with a horror movie, you know, you can take a dark movie with very little light and make that work to your advantage. You can't do that with a costume drama. You can't do that with, and in fact, that's that's where German expressionism really came from. The reason they have those kind of noir lighting and all that like shafts of light is because those German filmmakers could only afford one fucking light. <laughs> and so they had to aim it just carefully. <laughs> yeah, restrictions, you just, yeah. Beautiful thing, you have to work, learn to work with it. But um, no, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, the next step with producing for me would be mm-hmm. to work with somebody or if I found a script to try to raise the money. I know, like, there was this one guy who, um, uh, what was I going to say, who um, helps to fund really low-budget films. But even that company, Bondit, do you remember Bondit? And they, they funded... Oh, Alec- they funded the Alec Baldwin shooting movie, yeah. 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 So, like, I think they went bust, right? Well, are they still going? I I don't know actually. I'm gonna look that up. It would be so sad if it went bust. If they went bust because of that, because it's like, yeah, that I remember me and my friend Tom. We had a meeting with that company at one point, Bondit, and it was wow. a little like you pay you pay money, you know, to um get these services where they pitch to their financiers and whatever. So you kind of pay to play kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever happened with that film? I guess it just never got made, right? It just got yeah. The film just got scrapped, but I don't see any notice in Variety about them going out of business. So I don't know. I have to ask my friend Tom. Now you're credited as a producer on this movie, The Crossroads. How did you get involved in that? Two years ago. Um, so I got involved because I posted in a bunch of screenwriting um, forums, like, hey, I'm looking for a feature film with a you know, mid-20 lead. Uh, here's my website. If there's anything that you think would fit, please send it through. And that's um, how I got a bunch of scripts, which I was reading through. Um, and one guy got back to me saying, hey, um, 
this might be a weird thing, but I think you're perfect to be the lead in my, in my film. Um, would you like to read it? And so I read it and we had a zoom meeting and he's like, I'd like to offer you the part. And I was like, okay. He's like, you can audition if you want, but you don't have to. And I was like, okay, well then I won't. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to audition. Like you don't have to audition. And that was one of the best experiences of my life. And it just happened so easily. And everything they said they would do happened. Like for example, um, they were like, okay, it's going to shoot in, you know, March or April, April last year. And it did. They hadn't cast the other actor until like pretty much one or two weeks before the shoot. And I was like, is this thing mm. even happening? Cause you guys don't, don't even have another actor yet. So I was like, whatever. Like I wasn't holding my breath, you know, cause shit falls apart all the time. Is this thing even real? You know, but we did, they, they cast a guy called Nick week before poor guys. Cause he had not much time to learn the whole thing. But, uh, and then, yeah, we blew out and it was so freaking fun. It's still in post-production. Mm -hmm. We did a screening for it maybe a month ago in Arizona. So it was cool. They flew us out there. Um, and producing wise, yeah, he gave me a credit. I guess I was involved from the get go in terms of, you know, being attached a few months before and then Doug mm -hmm. and all the crew guys had been, you know, crew people for years. So I had his whole team. Um, so that's how I got involved with that. I did the music for some of the music for it. So he gave me that credit, I believe. But yeah, even Nick's like, wait, did you, are you a producer on this? And I'm like, I mean, technically I am, but oh my God. So one thing that happened on set with that is the COVID officer, mm. um, who was new and COVID was new in general. So she was pretty new, but it was, it was her first job. She, um, was a little like, I guess she was into horses. So we had a day of training for the horses before the shoot and she came to set and, um, you know, we'd all been tested and whatever. And then she was, you know, kind of bugging us and wanted to oversee us being trained by these professional horse trainers. And she was being kind of nosy, whatever. And then halfway through the day tells us her result came up positive for COVID. Like while we were, while we were all there together, but she didn't even have to be there that day. She just wanted to come and be part of it. And so, we so your COVID officer got COVID. Yes. On the <laughs> yes. 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 It was just so fucking bizarre. And obviously everybody was really stressed and everything. We postponed shooting for like a week. So I was already there, you know, just had a, more time to learn my lines and they went sightseeing or whatever. But it turned out her result was a false positive because she got tested again. But yeah, she got she got fired obviously and we got a new person but it that cost the production probably you know tens of thousands of dollars at least because for our hotel hotel fees the location um i think like luckily they had a week like i think they had a wedding or something that that weekend we were or sometimes on the, on the days we weren't shooting we had they had weddings this ranch so mm -hmm. there was that and then we had to you know they did push push having the location a week um and they would, it was a working farm. So they would like, you know, planting and doing stuff. And so they had to kind of, you know, readjust everything. Mm -hmm. So anyway, as a producer, I didn't have to handle any of that. Luckily. I mean, as not being one of the producers, I didn't have, but yeah, everybody was really angry. And can you imagine if that was in your set, you'd be so fucking angry, huh? Yeah. You'd be like this fucking shit. Cause the whole thing is <laughs> full apart. Like everything, like they might not have enough money. 
the, the, the location might not be able to be there. It was just like a potential disaster. And this was just when COVID had happened too. No, actually, it was a year after COVID, but it was still really like I don't think vaccinations were out yet or something. I I don't know. It was still pretty fresh. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't vaccinated at that point. Like no one was vaccinated. Um. So yes, and then with that film Dark Haven, that's another film I'm a, kind of attached as a producer with. Mm-hmm. So, Jim Vines. Um, I had the script. This is how I got into producing. Right. Was I did quote marks by the way producing. Um was to Jim. So he was like, Hey, I've got this film Dark Haven. I think it'd be great to star in it. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, see if you can get it made. And I was like, okay. So that's the whole thing. If I had the script in my pocket, you know, when I met with filmmakers, I talked to them about it. And then when COVID started, my friend Pradeep, um, said, Hey, what's that film you were telling me about Dark Haven? Like, I think it could be good, a good, my first good feature because it's, um, uh, COVID friendly. It's only one location, two actors. Mm-hmm. So he, he reread it. It was horror. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So we ended up shooting it um, two years ago now, pretty much exactly exactly two years ago because I had my birthday while I was on set, I remember. Wow, that was two years ago. That was so cool. Wow, time flies so much. But um, anyway, so that still isn't out yet, by the way. Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it just takes a long time. But um, he was like, yeah, he'll give me an associate producer credit. I'm like, you better because I gave you the script, but I didn't do any um, – <laughs> did help with little things like tasks or he's like, Oh yeah. Do you have any PR people or things like that? I'm not going to even say it was low budget. Cause I think the budget's gone up since um, the VFX. He was saying the VFX, he said mm. or something, but it's meant to look, look like a lot more um, as it all is meant to be. It was a small crew, like six, seven people. And we also shot an Indian and a American version. So, there was an actress. India as in Daisy, right? Or India as in like Bollywood. Like, right. Okay. Like, we had two actresses. There was me and this Indian actress who spoke Hindi. And mm-hmm. there was the lead actor, the, the lead male actor, uh, Arik, who could speak both Hindi and um, English. So mm-hmm. he pretty much, we, me and this girl were tag team. So, anyways, that's my other kind of lead in the feature and how I got that didn't have to audition for it. He was like, cool. Yeah, obviously you're, you're in it. Let, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think as an actor, I'm always looking for those moments of the, the stars just aligned. Cause they pretty, pretty self-funded it. And, um, Ginia, the writer of the crossroads self-funded it too. So mm-hmm. things like that are awesome. Like when the stars align, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I actually started producing, trying to produce, going, fuck, this is hard. Like, <laughs> wish it was as easy as these other two experiences. Right. <laughs> uh, well, well, cool. Well, I think that's good. I want to ask you one last question. Uh, who are your favorite authors and why? F- authors or philosophers, etc. Oh, goodness. That's a good question. Oh my god. Okay, so my favorite book, which I keep rereading, is um, The Alchemist. Um, mm-hmm. Have you have you read that? I haven't. No. no. Oh, it's amazing. It's by Paolo Coelho, if I'm saying it right, and it's all about spirituality, following the omens, just trusting, having faith, 
-hmm. knowing that you know everything's happening for a reason just to go with the flow have your dream your treasure in this film and just yeah you just have to be super present and just know that everything's happening for a reason and I just keep rereading it because it keeps reapplying to my life where I'm at um because I think you know life is constantly shifting like even something in my life this week a week ago was different and you just have to adapt and to go with the flow and just have stability and friends and I don't know just keep on with it I feel like when I'm in a in an unstable place or something's unstable in my life I just keep trying to do the work show up and everything will fall into place I don't know I show it can be hard to navigate emotionally sometimes but does mm. that make sense when things are always shifting around you it's yeah just to keep yourself keep yourself as a stable center and if things around you shift like relationships and jobs know that you're stable on your own is what I'm trying to say and that is Season 2, Episode 10 of the Producers Lounge Podcast. Thank you to my guest, Emily Koop, for joining us. You can find out more about her by checking out the show notes and visiting our website at greaterandgrander.com. Our intro and outro music today was Julianne, The Night We Met, by Evan Hodges. Our episode still image is by Ricardo Tomas on Greater and Grander. If you have any questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know in the episode comments. You can stay up to date by following us on social media at the handle greatergrander, all one word. Make sure to subscribe wherever fine podcasts are found. And also, if you like what we do, share this podcast with a friend who you think will enjoy it. Join us next week for more cocktails and questions. And until then, keep producing dreams. Mm-hmm.